Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Colorado Sports Guys Supplemental Podcast. Coming to you live from the CSG Video Studios in Thornton, Colorado. Now here's your host, Jeff Morton. up everybody this is the king of thornton himself jeff morton uh thank you all once again for joining uh, me on this uh special colorado sports guys kind of supplemental podcast um i got some special stuff lined up for you guys today um i hope you really enjoy it um first off um both ross martin and nate timmons are not with me today uh i am told that they are both out of town uh, i have not been told where so it's a secret location. Um, I'm assured, though, that they're both fine. So we're we're all good there, and I and I'm I appreciate the the fact that I'm still able to continue this, uh, even if you know they may be you know being held for ransom somewhere. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Anyway, um, nice to see everyone again. Uh, before I get started, I want to talk about our sponsor, Jake's Sports and Spirits on 3800 Walnut Street in the Rhino District, as Jake Feinstein would say, of Denver, Colorado. Um, and it's a great place to go, and especially on tonight when I'm recording this, uh, there's two-for-one drinks, uh, which is great if you you know, want to just have a couple beers after work or, or whatever. It is it is fantastic, and it's a really great vibe at Jake's Sports and Spirits. Um there's a lot of murals on the wall and uh, of, of old Broncos, and there's even one right by the front door of David Thompson. So it's got a great vibe, and it's great Colorado vibe for um, for anyone who wants to come down. Uh, Jake Sports and Spirits, 3800 Walnut Street. Um, go in, ask for Jake Feinstein, and tell him CSU Podcast sent you. Without further ado, let's get started. Um, today I went down to Pepsi Center. Uh, and today being the Tuesday, I, and I and I caught the Nuggets before they left town for their first game, uh, which is tomorrow against the New Orleans Pelicans. And I got an opportunity to speak with a couple players and um, about you know just basically the Kemba Mutombo. Um, and for those of you who do not know, the Nuggets will be. Um, honoring Dikembe Mutombo at uh, Pepsi Center on uh, October 29th against the um, Portland Trail Trailblazers, and they're going to be wearing the old uh, Rainbow Skyline uniforms. Well, I wanted to get some thoughts from some players on on what Dikembe Mutombo means to them, and actually I will follow up with my own uh, after we get these interviews through. Uh, first off, I did speak with... Uh, Danilo Gallinari and uh, Gallo gave his thoughts on Dikembe Mutombo plus his goals for the season upcoming. Uh, Gallo, uh, 
this is for after you guys get back. Um, on Saturday, you guys are going to be honoring the Kembe Mutombo. Was he in the league when you were when you first got in the league? Uh, no. no. No? I wasn't playing. Uh, do you have any memories or do you uh, have any no- notion of the Kembe? Yeah, I know. We, uh, we also had uh, the chance to stay together for 10 days in Senegal. And we went to Africa together, so... I know I had the chance to know Dikembe in that in that you know in that occasion, and um, you know I'm very happy uh, for him. He deserves it, and it's going to be a great night. Um, you uh, will be wearing the old throwback uh, Rainbow Skyline uh, unis. Do you have any impression of those? Do you like those? I just hope we get a win. <laughs> with those with those with those jerseys, uh, beautiful jerseys, and uh, it's always great to have the chance to to you know, to be a part of these special nights. Especially with these jerseys too, uh, but you know, hopefully we'll get a win. Um, uh, one basketball-related question: You, you are, your efficiency is out of control right now, just really high. Is that due to the way the offense is kind of differently structured right now, or is it just you? You know, are you? I think it's a mix of things. Uh, it's a little bit of me, a little bit of you know, on the teammates, the system, and the more experience we got, the chemistry is getting better. Um, so I mix all things together. Uh, but you know, it's out of control now. It's got to be out of control all the way to the playoffs. There was Danilo Gallinari, and you know, it's funny. It's actually Gallo, I believe, was in the league when um, Dikembe was. I believe Dikembe got injured in the 08-09 season, and I believe that was Gallo's first season. Um, so that they did play against one another, and it was interesting that they had spent 10 days together in Senegal, um, which is which is really something that's really close to Dikembe's heart is uh, giving back to Africa. And, um, you know, it is, it's funny how uh, these kind of things go in circles. I, I know that our, our, uh, our my co-writer on the Denver Stiffs and, and – good friend of the CSG podcast, uh, Andrew Feinstein has often gone to Africa and said, what a great kind of organization, both, uh, Dikembe and Masai Ujiri have put together out there in Africa. And that's one of the best parts of Dikembe Mutombo is this kind of like the charitable aspect of it that has actually gone from his first year as a rookie. Um, even before when he was at Georgetown to, uh, up till today, you know, when you're talking, he got to Georgetown in uh, 1988, 89. So you're talking almost 30 years of of good uh, using your notoriety to give back to your home country, which is which is really great. Um, I also got a chance to talk to Emmanuel Moutier. Same questions. Um, obviously, there is a personal connection between um, the uh, Moutier and Matumbo because of the Congo. Um, Moutier addressed that and also his goals for the upcoming season. Just going to ask you about um, the special night that the Nuggets are going to have where Dikembe Matumbo on Friday. Any thoughts about, I mean, I know it's it's like a personal connection there, but I mean, any thoughts about that night and what it means for you specifically? Yeah, I mean, for somebody that came from where I came from, it's definitely, you know, something that is going down in the history book. So it's definitely special. Uh, I'm happy for him, happy for his family, and it's going to be great. Uh, you know, it's a great night. So hopefully we just do what we're supposed to do that night for him, and it's, it's a special night for him. Uh, did you uh, have any, like, real knowledge of Dikembe's career when he was in the NBA, uh, like when his time with the Nuggets or anything? I probably caught Dikembe when he was with the Sixers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so I was pretty young when he, you know, he got drafted and he played. Uh, so... He, um, I mean, I saw some of the games he played. I know he's really, over here, he's really famous for the 
three, like holding the basketball on top of his head. So, I mean, when you look in the, at the block shots, he's up there. So it's definitely special. Uh, your thoughts on the season coming up? I mean, are you? Uh, what do you have any personal goals, or is it just uh, get as many wins as possible? Yeah, I mean, we just want to make the playoffs. Get as many. It's about winning. When you win, everybody looks good. Uh, so. Uh, I think that's the the thing that everybody needs to be focused on, and uh, it'll be a it'll be a fun year. You know, the only time, and I a lot of you know this, um, I've I've written articles on this, and I've addressed this on the podcast. The only time I really cried ever during a basketball anything that happened in basketball was when the Nuggets um, fight beat the Sonics in 1994. Um, it meant a lot to me personally. I, you know, think of it this way. You know, I was 16 years old. Um, I think there is a personal connection that you get to a team when they are reach a certain kind of mo- They have a certain kind of um, monumental event that happens during your formative years. Uh, I was a fan all the way going back to my, I remember the first game I ever attended was in the 87, 88 season for the Nuggets. You got a signed mini basketball, um, a yellow and blue basketball, yellow, blue and white basketball from uh, there from Alex English. And I have no idea where it is. I actually was looking for it before this podcast and I can't find it, which which is very frustrating. But um, you look at these things and you look at the moments that happen and you wonder, you know, are you affected by what happens? Well, I mean, I firmly believe that you are affected by what happens when you're a teenager. Your view of your team, quote unquote, happens to get locked into um, your emotions while you're a teenager. And I was 16 when this happened. Lafonso Ellis was my favorite player of all time. And when the, when that buzzer sounded and Dick Enberg um, starts talking about Batumbo falling to the ground, clutching the ball. I started bawling. I just, I'm, I'm bawling and I'm weeping. And it's hard to describe that feeling. And I don't know if that particular feeling can ever be replicated. And this is why Dikembe, even though he was only in Denver for five years, that means a lot to me. That's why I have an emotional attachment to that entire team, including the coach, Dan Issel. You know, it is you've you've given me a moment which, you know, it was the first time that ever happened. And the historical the historical aspect of it cannot be understated. Eight seeds never beat one seeds. You know, they be we can talk about the 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 five game series and how the five game series has an effect on making things upsets more possible. You have to understand even before that the, the league had three game series. There was never an eight seed over a one seed prior to the Nuggets doing it. It was just, it just didn't happen. And the the Sonics that year were, I would say, post Jordan's first retirement, about the toughest you could possibly get. They tore through the league. Probably George Carl's best ever team. That includes his teams with the Nuggets. And the Nuggets rose up and behind Dikembe Mutombo was 31 blocks um, and uh, which cannot be understated how um, immense his defensive presence was in that series. It cannot be understated. And then the, after they beat the Sonics, 
they went and almost pulled off an even more incredible upset when they were down 3-0 to the Jazz and came all the way back to tie the series and just finally couldn't pull off the total upset at the end. But it was, to me, a defining moment for me as a Nuggets fan. It was just while I think there is some significance in why it's legitimate that Dikemi Mutombo is having his jersey retired because there is something that he gave to the Nuggets that, let's face it, this franchise doesn't have a ton of those moments. And that kind of feel and that kind of, of, of I don't know, it's, I mean, it sounds like I'm talking around it without coming to it, but that kind of uh, feeling of euphoria and joy is something that really I haven't been able to replicate. Even in the 2009, um, when the Nuggets went to the Western Conference Finals, you know, I will always be emotionally attached to this Nuggets team, but it's kind of moved on to a different area because I'm in my 30s, you know. You're never going to get that kind of I was a teenager moment again. And that's why I look back on that with a lot of fondness, a lot of fondness. You know, he really, Dikembe was a big part of that reason. And I really do think this is why he deserves to have, to have his number retired. Um, I'm going to wrap this up right about now. I will, before I do, is I have a entire clip. Uh, it's about 14 minutes long of, of Michael Malone talking at practice today. And it is must hear stuff. Malone talks about basketball philosophy. And I have to admit, I kind of am the one who started this on, on him on this track. But he talks about the philosophy of basketball, and it is really, really fascinating to listen to. Um, it is well worth hearing because it is a, it is a kind of a, a, a window into his mind and the way he thinks. Um, we got a lot of that with George Carl and, um, we're getting some of that with Michael Malone right now. And, uh, I think we're all better off for it. Uh, it's a great, great clip. Um, and it's, it's his entire press presser from today. You'll get to see it, hear it. And, uh, um, he even swears a little, but forgive him for that. It was fun. It was in an analogy. Um, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this. Uh, it's been my name's Jeff Morton. It's been great to have you with me again today. Just a little nostalgic journey for me today. Um, remember, the Nuggets will be retiring Dikembe Mutombo's um, jersey on Saturday, October 29th. If there's tickets available, I suggest you go get them and cheer on someone who brought the Nuggets one of their best moments. Um, uh, I'm the King of Thornton, Jeff Morton. I leave you with Michael Malone talking to the media today. Good. Yeah, it was good. You know, well, we went hard yesterday, did a lot of uh, up and down. So today we did uh, a little bit more than the half court trying to clean some things up. But, uh, no, I think the guys brought a lot of energy, and hopefully we get on that plane. We're going down there with the uh, right mindset of getting our first win of the season. Gary Harris came up to me and told me that he is actually went through five, five today and full contact. Uh, what is his status going into game one tomorrow? Still, still questionable. Yeah, still questionable. You know, obviously we'll have a shoot-around tomorrow morning, kind of see where he's at. But... Uh, it is an 82-game season. We're not going to rush anybody back. Gary Harris, Darrell Arthur. Uh, Gary has not been able to go through a complete practice since before we played Toronto. So uh, he's questionable. Darrell Arthur is questionable right now. Uh, Coach, this is a question for kind of like a philosophy question. Well, I, I, I like <laughs> philosophy. I think deeply. Um, in Austin? <laughs> <laughs> I think very deeply. Is there, is there a, if 
fundamental kind of shift in the you know kind of the way basketball um, is kind of flowing. There's less of the the kind of isolation and more of the get it pass it as quickly as possible and then get it to uh, whoever has the open shot. Is that kind of what you guys are going with now, even with the two bigs uh, in your lineup and kind of still have that philosophy? Yeah, we're trying to. It's uh, I think the Spurs probably. Uh, have done the best job of that in recent past with their beautiful game and how the, you know the ball just never was held. It moved, it moved, and defenses couldn't keep up with that ball movement, and it generated open shots. And uh, nothing divides a team more than selfish play and ball holding. So obviously we're trying to uh, get away from that. I think we did a decent job last year, but the problem was we couldn't make open shots. I thought we got a lot of open looks, but we just didn't convert those. So uh, whether you have two bigs, whether you have one big, or you have five smalls out there, uh, our goal every time down the floor is to generate an open shot. We chart good offense. For us, good offense is rim attacks, open threes, and free throw attempts. Trying to stay away from the uh, the mid-range contested twos, which we think is probably the worst shot in the game. But yeah, if we can move the ball quickly and uh, efficiently to get the best shot available, that, that's, that's the name of the game. And you see a lot of teams from San Antonio to Golden State to uh, Atlanta, who are playing that way, and it's obviously a fun way to play, and it's a great game to watch. Okay, deeper thought. Wow, all right. The, the idea of the first good shot versus keep moving it till you get that best shot. Yeah. How and, do you balance that? And that's a really good point because uh, we've had to tell our guys, if you have a good open shot for you early in the clock, right. don't turn it down. Right. Because a lot of times, like we, we started to chart that because – you don't get a better look than the first one that was afforded you. So, you know, uh, don't turn down open looks when it's a shot that is a good shot for you. And I remember early in the preseason, Robbie Hummel was turning down open threes in transition to try to generate something. And, uh, you know, somebody once said, don't don't pass up good shit for bullshit. You know, uh, so... <laughs> that's a deep thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really deep. <laughs> you know, but, um, so it's, it, but it's a balance. You don't want to take... Quick shots, quick shot, quick shot. Right. So we always speak about running with discipline. But you know, if we get rim attack, or if we get open three, or if we get an opportunity to get to the foul line in the first four or five minute seconds of the shot clock, that is good offense. Now, if it's not there, let's be disciplined to move the defense to get the best shot available. So it is a delicate balance with that. Um, but we don't want our guys to think that if they're open early in the clock that they can't shoot it. Oh, it's take the best shot available. And if it's a good shot for you, then you know, let it go. Murray early and I I know I don't imagine a coach thinks of it this way but how many minutes should I expect does that depend on this play or do you have an idea for that um, yeah it's terms a of rotation I well I think it's uh it's kind of up in the air because right. obviously with the Gary Harris injury you know, Gary is a starter for us right. uh, Will Barton is a six man of the year candidate right. um and that's where I think Jamal's versatility in playing one and two allows him different avenues to get on the floor um, but I want to play Jamal Murray this year yeah. I don't want to get through his rookie year and go into his second year like Gary Harris and say okay this is your rookie year and may, you know so we're going to play I'm going to find minutes for him to play I think it's imperative that we do so to see who we have and for him to get better you know I think we always speak about our player development and how all of our players got better last year a large part of their development was allowing them to play through all their mistakes I mean Emmanuel Nicola uh, Will, Garrett, those guys played. And even when they messed up, they weren't looking at the bench like, am I coming out? Keep on playing. 
Uh, and it was tough at times, but I think we have to do the same thing with Jamal this year. Find, find minutes for him because we feel he has the potential to be a impact player in the NBA. Anthony Davis tomorrow night. Uh, I mean, what, what is that, what kind of challenges does that present for Nicole and the big guys? Well, obviously, Anthony Davis's uh, versatility is a scary thing. He's a guy that can rebound, push coast to coast, and finish. He's a guy that can score in the post, back to the basket, or facing the basket. And he's a very effective pick and roll big as well as a pick and pop big so uh, he is their go-to player he's their all NBA player so not one player is going to guard him we have to give whether it's Nicola, Kenneth Gallo, Wilson, all of our players a uh, built in help so we can not leave anybody on an island but yeah Anthony Davis is a great player and uh, you know we have to be ready to guard him, keep him off the foul line and make him work for everything that he gets Some of the players that I've talked to are combative or stubborn or enthusiastic about this idea of, as opposed to more learning, they expect to be a playoff team this year. Is that from them? Is that from you? Where's that coming from? Well, I think it's um, probably more them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like, I don't come in every day right. saying, hey, we got to make the playoffs. Right. My goal every day is let's get better today. Right. You know, let, let's continue to, you know, because everybody talks about culture, but for culture to, be, to, to really exist, you have to live it. We can have all the fancy words on the, the walls and all that, but if you're not living it every day, it's a bunch of BS. So, you know, I come into work every day saying, okay, are we going to create good habits? Are we going to be a work team? Are we going to improve every day? If you do those things, I think the playoffs kind of take care of themselves at some point if you can stay healthy enough. We have guys in this team like Gallo, like Wilson, like Kenneth, like DA, who have been part of playoff teams. Uh, we have some young guys that want to get there. And I think, you know, there's a belief that if we – continue to do the things that we've been doing why not us yeah. you know you look like a team like i'm not saying we have damian lillard and cj mccollum and i'm not saying i'm terry stotts yeah. but portland's an example like they, they don't overwhelm you on with their roster right. wow. they, they had a great season last year well if we can stay healthy why can't that be us uh you know the, there's been some shifting of the powers in the western conference sure. so you know i think we're a team that should i'm glad they're thinking that right. but my challenge to them would be don't talk about it be about it right it's easy to say, man, we should be a playoff team. Right. Well, do your everyday habits reflect that? Right. Are you working as hard as you need to in everything that we do to really be a playoff team? So uh, all 30 teams are starting the season going into tonight saying, yeah, we want to make the playoffs. And about a month into it, reality starts to set in. You know? And uh, for us, my biggest challenge, to be completely honest, is going to be after a month staying really positive because our schedules are – <laughs> tough it's tough for i couldn't i couldn't say what i wanted to say but I, we have a schedule, very tough schedule first, so it began with an m was what i yeah yeah it was like, is uh shut the front door yeah. <laughs> so you know but can we understand 82 games is a long year a lot can happen don't right. get down right. and just continue to pound that rock you know pound that rock stay with it so hey we have a very one game at home, six of our first seven are on the road. Tough schedule. You know, no one feels sorry for us, and I don't feel sorry for us. It is what it is. But if we don't get off to a start that we all hope, so what? Stay together. Like, as long as we get better as the year goes on, I think we'll be a competitive team. Um, that's another coach in town this month or so ago, and he surprised me. Winning or culture, which comes first? Um, I assume culture, but another coach said if you don't have winning – to reinforce the culture, you can't establish the culture. Where are you? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm opposite. Yeah. And obviously, uh, trust me, 
winning helps your culture last right. and allows you to sustain that culture. Right. But I like to believe my job in Sacramento, we won 28 games my first year, and we were 11 and 13 when I got fired my second year. But I have no doubt in my mind that the culture changed it. And, and the, the players, DeMarcus Cousins will tell you that. The fans will tell you that. The reporters will tell you that. I think last year here, my first year here in Denver, I really felt that our culture changed. We won 33 games. Uh, and I heard that from the returning players, from members of the media, and our fans as well, and the front office. So um, I think for teams like Sacramento that have not won, teams like Denver that's missed the playoffs for three years now, uh, if you don't change the culture, you're not going to – you may win, but the more important thing for me, kids, is you won't have sustained success. It might be a flash in the pan. Hey, we had a great season. But if you don't have the culture, the foundation, I don't think you can sustain it. So for me, it's you can change the culture, and that's something that I try to demand every day and bring myself. And um, then when you do that, and then you add pieces, and you get better, and you get healthy, then I think you can win because your culture is there. Last thing for me. This, yeah. I tell you what, this is like, uh, I feel like I'm back at Loyola College philosophy. <laughs> yeah, this is like deep thoughts. Yeah, like, this is good stuff. What is the meaning of the question? The, the key to this is, is Dempsey's not here. Yes. We're, having a, we're having an educated or discussion. <laughs> or God, this is like, we're up here today, fellas. Thank you. you the the house, no. this, is, this is George Carl makes up. There was a lot more yelling involved. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the way I looked at Moutier last year, is an incredible talent who, so young that he just wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not dissing him that. No, no, say it's, it's, like it was, it's a fair assessment. It was Nin- big. 19 year old point guard. You got Chris Ball tonight. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. What's the biggest thing he learned, or some of the most important things he learned, whether you want to keep it narrow or keep yeah. it big? I mean, well, I'll give you two. I mean, one is um, basketball perspective on the court, skill development. I think um, the biggest knock on Emmanuel was his inability to shoot the ball. And that was, you know, you could see it every game that we played. The game plan was just go under, go under, go under, make him beat you through jump shot. And what I give him a lot of credit for is that by the end of the season, he was shooting the last month and a half, for that matter, over 35% from the three-point line. doesn't happen by accident. I give Emmanuel credit because he was coming back every night working on his craft. So, you know, that's from a basketball standpoint. Right. And I also think, you know, I challenged him midseason. You know, um, he'd come back from injury. I started Jameer over in one game, uh, and I was closing games with Jameer, and he came in to talk to me. And, uh, you know, I don't blow smoke, and I don't tell guys what they want to hear. That's not my job. My job is to tell them, you know, what they need to hear and for me to help them become the best player they can be. And I challenged him with his decision-making, too many turnovers. I challenged him with... He has to be a better defender on all of our defensive charts. He was one of our worst defenders at that point. And I said, now you have a choice. Feel sorry, hate me, and continue to do what you're doing. Or be a grown-ass man, suck it up, and work harder. And to his credit, and I tell everybody this because he deserves the credit, he worked harder. And he was a different player last month and a half of the season than he was to start. And I think the month off helped him. The second thing, I know it's a long answer. But off the court, and what I love about him this year, because even in preseason, the games he played, and didn't shoot the ball well, but I think his shot selection was better. But the biggest thing that I like about him is that he's so much more comfortable and confident. And my challenge to him, I grabbed him before we even started a practice in Omaha. I said, listen, I want to hear your voice. I want you to be our leader. Every huddle we bring it in, I always say, Emmanuel, what do we have? 
be our floor leader, but also be our vocal leader. Get used to using your voice. And that's not easy for a young kid, 20 years old, with guys that have been around the league for a while. But he's embraced it. So, yes, he's getting better as a player and a skill development, but more importantly, the intangibles, the off the court, the leadership, he's embracing that as well as playing the way we want to play, which the pace at which he's playing with is phenomenal. And uh, he has to maintain that as well. Okay, I mean, what I saw early is a guy that was just really young, but also a guy that wanted to please so much that, that he almost took everything too serious. Right. He, he got a little down on himself a little easily. But maybe by mid-season when you have to talk with him, he says, okay, I got to work on my craft rather, uh, than, well, that and rather I, than make Coach happy. Or and then I, I think, you know, the, the injury, listen, uh, you can't understate the impact the injury had. Yeah. Missing a month might have been the best thing that ever happened to him because sitting out allows him to watch, to study, to learn, to slow down. And when he came back, it's weird. It doesn't really make sense when I say it. He slowed down, but he was much more aggressive. He wasn't trying to do a million things, but he was a lot more aggressive, and he was a different player. I mean, I think in January when he came back from his injury, he had a great – if you look at his January stats, it was phenomenal. So, um, yeah, I think early on it's so much coming at him, like play my game, get other guys involved. When should I shoot? When should I not shoot the ball? I gotta, I gotta take care of it. I gotta guard this guy. Guy was playing in China last year, and you know, so it was a, such a huge adjustment. But I thought he really handled it well, and we knew what we were gonna see with him, and we saw it. But the best thing was early it was like this, and then it was like this. It was up. So hopefully, guys like Jamal, you know, Malik and Wancho, you know, if they get a, a, an opportunity to play this year, we'll have the same kind of growth pattern and just get better as the year goes on. That's what we care about. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.